Welcome to the radio broadcast of Pineview Baptist Church, a growing community of faith in the Belfast community of Goldsboro. We are located at 3357 U.S. Highway 117 North in Goldsboro. We invite you to find out more about our congregation by visiting us at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. Join us now for our weekly message. If you would like more information about Pineview Baptist Church, we invite you to follow us on social media. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. There, you will find information about our service times, upcoming events, directions to our church, and videos of our Sunday services. Psalm chapter 9, we'll begin reading in verse 1, reading from the English Standard Version of Scripture. It says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before me, before your presence, excuse me. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established His throne for justice, and He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble, and those who know Your name put their trust in You. For You, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek You. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples His deeds, for He who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me, O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made, in the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made Himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the works of their own hands. Selah. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Verse 19, Arise, O Lord. Let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. May God add a blessing to the reading of Scripture. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen and amen. Today we're talking about wrestling faith, Psalm chapter 9. And Psalms 9 and 10 
go together. Early manuscripts would number them as one. The first, Psalm chapter 9 in our Bibles, is a hymn of praise. Psalm 10 follows as a song or a hymn of lament. The theme of this particular psalm is the opposition of the wicked. And as I read it, I I, I saw in my mind, I imagined David wrestling. He was struggling between two realities, going back and forth between these two realities. On the one hand, David sees that the wicked abound. But on the other hand, he sees that God is still on his throne. On one hand, life is turbulent. On the other, God is a God of divine mercy. In Psalm chapter 10 and verse 1, he speaks about the Lord being distant. But in Psalm 9 verses 15 and 16, he speaks about the end being sure. So you see that analogy playing out before us that David is wrestling with these different realities. I find this psalm to be a a perfect metaphor for our own journeys of faith that we're on. Highs and lows, hills and valleys, times of mighty faith, and then times of doubt and despair that creep in. There's a book entitled Faith and Wrestling, written by athlete and author Michael Fessler, and I want to share this with you from his opening statement in that book. He says there's something extremely inimitable about wrestling. And while its popularity may never reach the heights of, say, football or baseball, it most certainly will forever have a special place in the world of sports. There's too much that it offers that other sports don't seem to have the ability to, at least not to the same extent. It's all-consuming. It demands every facet of one's competitive nature, mind, body, and soul. Furthermore, to be a wrestler is to assume the title as a significant aspect of one's identity. Whether you are still competing or not, it becomes a part of what makes you who you are. In other words, wrestler is attached to your identity. He says, in the same way, faith can be described in a similar light, only to a more significant level. For while the relationship between faith and wrestling is a thriving one, listen, faith must take the leading role. David makes certain commitments in this psalm that we would do well to apply to our own wrestling matches of faith. Notice the determination in verse 1. He says, I will, I will, I will. And that seems to me to be the theme of this particular psalm. Though I may doubt, though I may struggle, though I may falter, I will. And so I want to draw your attention to four I will statements from today's Scripture reading and show you the reason why David determined these things in his heart and in his head. How he let faith take the leading role in his life. And so the first one you see on the screen, David says, I will give thanks, verses 1 and 2. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. 
he realizes in this opening statement that his entire being should be directed in praise to God. Spurgeon wrote, half a heart is no heart. This is not something that you can do with one foot in. And David is saying, with my whole being, with my whole heart, I will praise you, Lord. James Montgomery Boyce said, we do not praise God with our lips very much, if at all. And when we do, if we do, we praise Him half-heartedly. Something that I've tried to make a practice in my own life. Maybe you've noticed it, maybe you haven't. Maybe you'll notice it going forward. Oftentimes when someone tells me of answered prayer in their lives, if you come to me and you say, Pastor, so-and-so is doing better, so-and-so is out of the hospital, God blessed me in this way, I'll look at you and I'll say, praise God. Because I want to make a conscious effort to say with my own mouth, praise God. That's why we sang that chorus that we did this morning. Praise you. Praise you. Let my life praise you. We don't do that. We don't verbalize that nearly enough. And David says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I want to say to you this morning, Christian, don't be, don't, don't be consumed with half-hearted praise. Don't be guilty of, of empty praise. Notice that David says, I will recount, verse 1, all of your wonderful deeds. Do you know that simply speaking about the works of God, the things of God, His faithfulness, His promises, His personal blessings in your own life, that is a great way to praise Him? To recount what He has done and how He's been faithful to you or to what He's done for someone in your family or someone you know? It's also an evangelistic tool. How often do you get together with other believers and just discuss the faithfulness of God? That's one reason why we've been trying to focus on prayer here recently on Wednesday nights and in our prayer breakfasts together so that we can get together and we can speak about these things. In my own life, I've got a, a network of close Christian friends. And we routinely get together throughout, throughout the course of the month, two or three times a month, and we have dinner over at uh, some of our friends' house, and we all go to different churches, and we're from different backgrounds, and we sit around and we discuss the goodness of God in our lives. We talk about the things that the Lord's done and how He's been faithful. How often do you do that? How often do you recount the wonderful deeds of God, as the psalmist says? More often than not, we're like the Israelites. If you have your Bibles still open, turn to Psalm 106. Psalm 106, one verse of Scripture, verse number 7. It says, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. They rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. He says, God, we forgot you. We forgot who you are and what you had done for us. If you're still there, Psalm 119. Psalm 119 and verse 18. The psalmist says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Open my eyes. Lord, help me to remember. 
Help me to see. Help me to be glad, Lord, and to recount all of your wondrous deeds. He says, I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Why do we sing? I remember years ago when Harvest was still in existence, I did a sermon series called Basics, Basic Training. And we did a whole sermon about why we sing. We do it to celebrate the character and the nature of God like that that wonderful hymn that we sang this morning. Our sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. We do it to proclaim Him, as David says, as most high. God's people should be a singing people. You say, well, I don't don't like the song. Or I can't sing. I'm sorry. The Bible says. So it doesn't really matter if you don't like the song or you can't sing. We are commanded as the people of God to open our mouths and to sing. And as long as it is a biblical song, because there's a lot of garbage out there in the the modern worship world today. But as long as it is a biblical song, sing it, brothers and sisters. Praise God, as David said, I will sing praise because you are most high. David says, I will give thanks. But moving on, he also says, I will put my trust in you. Point number two. We find this in verses 3 through 10, and we want take the time for time's sake to read all of those again. But in verses 3 and 4, if you are looking there in your Bibles, you see he says, when my enemies turn back, he's praying that his enemies turn back so that they will be no more, so that they will be demolished, that God would cause them to stumble and to perish. And then in verse 4, he he's not displaying confidence in himself, but He's displaying confidence in the character and the righteousness of God when He says, For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. Verses 5 and 6 are pretty self-explanatory. Something happens in these next few verses that I'll draw your attention to. We see three things. We see how God deals with wicked men in the world, verses 5 and 6. You've rebuked the nations. You've made the wicked perish. You've blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. We move on to verses 7 and 8, and we see how God deals with all men. Verse 7, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established His throne for justice. He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. Notice the confidence that David displays in God's sovereignty. This should be our comfort today, Christian. Lord, You sit on the throne You are enthroned forever. That's a confidence that David had, and it should be our confidence today as well. He's a God of justice. He judges the world with righteousness. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul quoted that line, that same line, in his sermon at Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, a thousand years after David wrote it down. And it's still true today, brothers and sisters. God sits enthroned forever. Verses 9 and 10, we see how God deals with His own people. 
Read it with me. It says, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble, and those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. David says, Those who know your name trust in you, God. Those who know you, those who are in covenant with you, put their trust in nothing else. They see the nations raging. They see the wickedness in the world, but their confidence is in the Lord who sits on the throne. I will put my trust in you, David says. It's like David has his hand up and he says, hey, I'm that guy. I'm the one who puts my trust in the Lord. And I say to you today, Christian, be that guy. Put your trust and your confidence in Him because our God is a trustworthy God. David says, I will give thanks. I will put my trust in you. But thirdly, he says, I will rejoice because you remember. I will rejoice because you will you remember. Verse 11 says, Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned at Zion. Tell among the peoples His deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. MacArthur in his commentary says that there's a both and tension running throughout the Old Testament. God is enthroned in and above the heavens and also He symbolically dwells locally in His tabernacle. Psalm 11 and verse 4 says the Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. He sees, His eyes sees, it says. His eyelids test the children of man. Notice verse 12, it speaks of the afflicted. Who are the afflicted? In verse 18, this ties in with it. He speaks of the needy and the poor. Who are the needy? Who are the poor? Who are the afflicted? Those who are dependent on God, those who know their need of Him, those who David spoke of in verse 10 as he says, the the ones that know your name, the ones who put their trust in you. That's who he's speaking of when he writes of the afflicted. And he says, the Lord remembers their affliction. The Lord knows their state. The application for us is that God does not forget His people, whether you're suffering with cancer here in America, whether you're fighting COVID in a third world country, or whether you're the church in Kabul in Afghanistan fighting the forces of darkness there, God knows His people. God knows where they are, and He is a righteous judge who remembers And He will not forget those who are afflicted. David says, I rejoice because you remember me, God. Fourthly, he says, I will plead for mercy. Verses 13 through 18. Verse 13, he begins by saying, be gracious to me. In the Expositor's Bible commentary, it says the enemy causes the affliction and the gravity of the experience often gives rise to a prayerful cry for help with the hope that God may see and have mercy. The intensity of the suffering is comparable with death. David feels as if hell, he says, the gates of death is here before him. 
Life is turned into a trial of alienation, affliction, and disaster, and he cannot dig his way out. Only in Zion may the godly find rest, because God dispenses his righteousness to them where he is. The daughter of Zion stands for God's people or for Jerusalem, the city of God. Do you ever feel that way as David did? As if hell, the gates of death, were set against you? The precedent we see from David here in our text is to cry out to God for mercy. Be gracious to me, Lord. Help me in my affliction. Why did he do that? And why should you and I do that? Because you are the city of God. You are the daughter of Zion, and He stands for His people. He will not forget, and He is a God of justice and mercy. Verse 14, he says that I may recount all your praises. David wanted God to rescue him so that he could give God more praise and all the more passionately rejoice in the Lord's salvation for him. Notice verses 15 through 17, a stern warning to the nations. Let's read it together. It says, The nations have sunk in the pit that they made, in the net that they hid. Their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made Himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the works of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol for all the nations that forget God. A warning to nations, a warning that our own nation should heed today. Verse 18, For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. The afflicted, he says, will find relief. That's why we cry to God for mercy. And in all of these verses here, 13 through 18, David shows the need for prayer. The need for us to cry to God for mercy. When was the last time you did that? The last time you were facing a trial, going through a storm, and you cried out to God to be merciful to you and to hear your cry. Is that your first inclination when you go through the fire? Because for the child of God, it should be. Why? Because He hears us. He's a God of mercy. Samuel Chadwick once wrote, There is no power like that of prevailing prayer. Of Abraham pleading for Sodom, Jacob wrestling in the stillness of the night, Moses standing in the breach, Hannah intoxicated with sorrow, David heartbroken with remorse and grief, Jesus in sweat and blood. Add to this the list from the records of your church or your personal observation and experience. And always there is a cost of passion unto blood, he said. Such prayer prevails. It turns ordinary mortals into men of power. It brings power. It brings fire. It brings rain. It brings life. It brings God. Prevail in prayer, Christian, because our God is a God of mercy. And David committed himself to plead to God. Be gracious to me. Hear my cry. And so you see those four I will statements that David determined in his heart 
and in his mind. But there's one more point before you. Point number five. Why? All for the glory of God. Verse 19. Read it with me. He says, Arise, O Lord. Let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. God, He says, glorify Yourself among the nations, among all men, among all peoples. And that should be our prayer. That should be our end goal as the people of God, as this local church, that God would be given glory. Not that we would expand our own kingdoms. Not that we would get out of any situation that they, that we may find ourselves in. But that God would be glorified through it all. Spurgeon wrote that all the wealth of Croesus, the wisdom of Solon, the power of Alexander, the eloquence of Demosthenes, if added together, would leave the possessor but a man. May we ever remember this, lest like those in the text, we should be put in fear. In other words, David says, man will not prevail. He will not prevail against our God. He says in the last uh, the, the very last verse of our text, they are but men. But men, this same word for humanity that we've been seeing in the Psalms that David uses here, which refers to weak human beings, frail human beings. And David prays that the fear of the acts of God would strike in their hearts a sense of hopelessness. But God's vengeance on the wicked signifies hope for the godly. G. Campbell Morgan wrote that, What prayer then can we pray which is of more vital importance than that the nations may know themselves to be but men? Such knowledge must drive them to dependence on God, and such dependence is the secret of national strength and of national prosperity and permanence. You want to know why perhaps our own country has grown weaker and weaker on the world stage? Because as Morgan said, the secret of national strength, of prosperity and permanence, is such knowledge that God sits on His throne. And that we are but men, weak and frail and dependent on Him. I couldn't help but think back as I read that verse to Psalm 8 and verse 4 where David said, What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. We've just read here in Psalm 9 where the psalmist says they are but men, but we reflect back and we remember what is man that God is mindful of us. God is personally interested in us while still being so great and so sovereign. And He's taken care of the severe requirement in the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. We see through the psalmist's words that our God is gracious and He is loving and His every action towards His people is one of grace Grace is the basis of our interaction with God as His redeemed people. 
So I ask you as we come to a close, do you see the wrestling that I talked about earlier in this exposition? Do you see David going back and forth between these two realities? Yes, enemies abound. Yes, the nations are full of wicked men. Yes, there are needy people. There are afflicted people. There are hopeless people in the land. But God, you sit on the throne. You will not forget. You are a God of mercy. And so I will give thanks. I will put my trust in you. After being saved for decades, perhaps, you may be at risk of losing your sense of wonder at God. I know I've been through that in my own personal life where I took for granted the greatness of God and His works. I want to say to you today, do battle against that tendency. I believe that's what the psalmist was doing in this psalm today and why he made these determinations in his own life. I will, I will, I will. Do battle against your situation, whatever you're going through, your enemy, even yourself. Wrestle against it. Do not let it defeat you. Know that the Lord will arise. As David said, man will not prevail. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God. It is for us, His people. Thanks be to God for it. Lord, we love You today. And I pray that Your Word will be in us, that it will make an impact in our lives today. That it will change who we are, what we do, how we do it. That we would be determined today to make these same statements in our life and in our ministry that King David did in Psalm 9. I will give thanks. No matter what's going on around me, I will praise you, Lord. I will open my mouth. I will sing to you because you are most high. I will put my trust in you because you sit sovereignly on your throne. I will rejoice, Lord, because you remember your people. You have not abandoned them. I will plead to mercy for mercy. Lord, be gracious to me. Why? For God's glory. Lord, arise. Let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. It's in the name of Christ we pray all these things. God's people said, Amen and Amen. Pineview gathers for worship each Sunday, beginning at 9.30 a.m. for morning prayer. Sunday school classes for all ages begin at 9.45 followed by our worship gathering at 11 a.m. We also meet each Wednesday night for Bible study and prayer at 7 p.m. in our church fellowship hall. We are located at 3357 U.S. Highway 117 North in Goldsboro, North Carolina. We are a Southern Baptist congregation dedicated to expository preaching and biblical worship. We invite you to join us next Sunday.